great book called Black's Law. And it discusses lawyers' rules or rules for lawyers, how to be a good lawyer. And he discusses cross-examination. And the top rule he has for lawyers who are going to cross-examine a witness is this. Never ask a question to which you do not already know the answer. We're dealing with a world of propaganda. We talked yesterday about this great, great description that Chris Bray created called the maneuver. And it's a mechanistic way that the party members lie to us and they use appeal to authority, what he calls credentialism. Well, today, I want to go down the path that Black's Law lays out, which is using questions to derail the party's propagandists. That could be the spokesmouths, if we ever get to talk to the spokesmouths, or it can be the people who've been propagandized by the party, that is, our loved ones. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile. Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Fist bump, virtual like to my friend and brother, Zach Abraham at Bulwark Capital Management uh, for getting us off to a running start in this podcast. Someday we'll tell the full story. KnowYourRiskRadio.com, Zach's radio show. There's all sorts of characters, I think, in Hollywood who've been great at asking questions, all sorts of lawyers that we've seen have been great at asking questions. I know engineers, people who are program managers and, and product developers and people like that, project managers who are trained to ask precision questions so that they can nail down what someone's asking for in a feature request and what should it do after that? And, and then what will it do before that? And getting down to very specific things so that they can turn around to a group of coders and give them a document to follow that they've interviewed people and this is what the product has to do. Lawyers, when they're cross-examining someone, uh, they're going through to get to a specific conclusion. They are leading the witness in a specific way. And that is to have them, they basically want to put words in the mouth of the witness. Now, ethical lawyers are not trying to, uh, you know, con people, but they're asking questions to which they know the answer. And they're doing that to build a narrative. And that narrative is for presentation to the jury or the judge, depending on who, with whom you're speaking. I studied a book years ago called Black's Law, and it has informed my position on debates. When I debate people of a you know, different ideology, it informs how I think of debates. I, I'm not asking questions at that point to find things out. Now, if I'm interviewing you and we're having an exchange of ideas, then yes, yeah, certainly I'm asking questions out of curiosity. I'm asking open-ended questions out of curiosity. And I'm doing that because I'm trying to learn and, and cross-pollinate and see, hey, maybe I have some assumptions wrong. And, and it'd be great if you showed me I had an assumption wrong and I could grow as a person. If I'm information seeking, 
for instance, in a discipleship group, if I'm asking a, a pastor or something about the Bible, at that point, I might ask a whole bunch of questions. And I don't know the answer, and I'm truly seeking it. There might be clarifying questions, but when it's debate, I'm going to ask questions to which I know the answer. Because I'm not there to find things out. I'm there to win a debate. So I'll give you just a funny example of this. Uh, years ago, uh, and some people have heard this. It's an old radio story. But years ago, I had this guy draw this cartoon about me. And uh, yeah, I told this story recently. I shouldn't tell it again. But anyway, he drew this cartoon. And it was me, uh, a, a, a cartoon of me shooting with a machine gun, by the way, shooting out the phrase, well-regulated militia from the Second Amendment. Because it was this guy's contention that I didn't want, that I, I was removing that. And I, and I saw the cartoon, it got published in the Spokesman Review. I thought it was very cool that someone got a cartoon about me published. So I had him on my radio show back then. This is 1993, 1994, when I did radio for a living. And I asked the guy the first question. I warned him, man. I said, I read about this stuff all the time. This is what I do. And I, I want you to come prepared. I want it to be a good discussion. I don't want to embarrass you. And he comes into the radio studio. I greet him and I asked him to sign the cartoon to autograph it. I said I was going to have t-shirts made out of it. And I did. I thought it was so cool. And he sat down for the interview and I said, so why are you against guns? And he said, because they kill so many people every year. I said, really? How many? And he said, well, millions. And I said, no, no, it's not millions. Oh, it goes, it was uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's not. Now, I, I knew the exact answer according to the, uh, the FBI crime statistics, if we could trust the FBI and maybe in 1993, 1994. Well, no, actually we couldn't. We maybe could trust their statistics division. But that, that, he ended up barfing, by the way. He barfed in the, around the corner. He ran out of the studio and then, and then vomited on the street. Very sad. Very funny and very sad. Uh, but he didn't know the answer. So when we're in a world of propaganda and our friends have been propagandized and we, we confront propagandists, it's really important for us to gain some ability to ask questions to which we know the answer. And sometimes we'll carry those things around. So for instance... Uh, during the time where people still wore woke masks, and I know that if you live in the separate country of Seattle, people still wear woke masks in other places. I see an occasional woke mask in North Idaho. It's, I always feel very sad for the person. I had memorized, how big are the viral molecules? What size are they? I had that memorized. And I had memorized the openings in an N95 mask. And I had that memorized. I had it at the tip of my tongue. So, by the way, it's one-tenth of one micron and three-tenths of one micron. Therefore, it's you know 300% too big to stop molecules. And I had that all memorized because in debates, it was very simple. I had the data. And so I could ask the question. And people try all sorts of things to get around that. And, oh, you're getting into the weeds. No, I'm just the details. So part of what we need to do when we are particularly, we're debating friends and family is remember this. We've talked about this on the show. If people are gone, they're gone. God can bring them back. We can't. If they've got the, in, in this house, we believe, sign outside, they're largely gone. If they've been quadruple injected and they want boosters, they're gone. Um, if, they, if they've bought in the critical race theory, they're gone. Their minds are gone. If they've, if they've adopted the, there's multiple ways, the, all religions are equal. They're all the same. There's no difference between them. 
Um, God can bring them back. We need to pray for them, love them. We need to pray that God will display himself through us to them. But we need to understand that from a rational perspective, they're gone. And the people that we're saving, we're trying to save, um, and I'm talking here in a sense, a political sense, which is way, way, way downstream of our main concern. Our main concern has to be their souls. But man, if they get lost, they get consumed by the party politically, it's going to take their soul. The party is a soul wrecker because the party uh, disagrees with God on, on the nature of, of biological sex. It disagrees with God on the nature of lying. It disagrees with God on the sanctity of marriage. It, it disagrees with God in everything because it's ungodly. The party is ungodly because they've made of themselves their own God structure. So if we're saving them political by some sense, we're also helping them avoid at least one trap for their soul. I'm dealing with my own trap this week. I'm vitally aware of the fact that I'm not doing as good a job as I should at putting God in the center of the show. And I'm, I'm asking for your prayers on that front, by the way. So when we're dealing with people that we can save, it's people who aren't yet bought in to the party. So you'll hear this from time to time that there's people now seeking evidence for maybe I shouldn't get my kids injected. All right, well, then you could go to the Denmark study where Denmark has said, we're not going to inject kids. You could go to the other countries in Europe that have said, hey, no way are we, are we jabbing kids with this. You could go to the study that shows that 29%, this is a, um, it's, it's not yet peer reviewed, it's up for peer review. But it shows that 29% of kids who got injected got some form of pericarditis or myocarditis. You could go to the, I think it's now 120, no, it's, it's 1,250 adverse effects from the injection. You could do that data like, but that's too deep in the weeds. So the number one question for our friends in dealing with the scientific technocrats and with propagandists is, how do you define science? And we ask this in a gentle and conversational way with someone. As you're talking with someone, they say, well, I just think that the science indicates this. And, and they could be talking about global warming, cooling, acid rain, climate catastrophe. And our job is to say, all right, so I hear you saying that, that you, you're observing scientists saying that, that, that man is causing this global warming or you that scientists have said that these injections... So it's conversational and you say something, hey, can I just make sure that we're talking the same language? Um, when you say science, can you help me understand what you mean? How do you define science? And right off the bat, a lot of people are going to pause because they're not really talking about science, a process. They're talking about science, a conclusion from some people. Science is never a conclusion. Science is not the opinion of a bunch of people. Science is a process to seek to understand our physical world. That's what it is. And there's a defined process for this. And there's defined processes that lead to good outcomes through rigorous science. And then there's junk science, which is outcome-based science. That, again, is too far in the weeds. But we start with, what is science? How do you define science? The definition for us is the ability to form a, a thesis, then to engage in observation with an attempt to disprove the thesis, 
And then having either proven or disproven the thesis, and it takes a long time to prove the thesis, we want to be able to have that replicable. We want our results to be replicable. We want to be able to show the same thing time and again. Hey, look, every time I put dishwashing detergent on my finger and I put pepper into water, the pepper moves away every single time. So there's something going on here. My thesis is that this repels the pepper. And we can turn to the common every day by going right back to a little while ago in history. And this is a golden moment. The CDC has recently been forced to hide evidence. We're going to talk next hour about a bunch of, of, of federal departments who are suddenly burying evidence. I mean, they've been doing this for a while, but they are on a tear of hiding evidence. Why? Because they know that the country's being torn apart and their side might not win. Because they are the ones who are being banana republic pushers. They're the ones who are using the mechanisms of government to go after their political enemies. They know very, very well that could be turned on them. So they're hiding a bunch of evidence. But in this case, on the topic of how do you define science, we could go right back to recent history. The pandemic has tested all of us as we've learned to live, work, and interact differently. Whether or not you've gotten sick, we must strengthen our immunity and our resolve to defeat COVID. The COVID vaccines offer a safe and effective way to keep you, your family, and your colleagues safe. So please, ask the questions. Follow the science. Get vaccinated. It's from way back last year, two years ago. So on the topic of the questions to derail the propagandists and the conversations with our friends, here's the question. I was following a scientific process that led me to believe these injections were not necessary and that they were not safe or effective. I've not died. I've not gotten sick. Most of my friends have not. Furthermore, just this weekend, the CDC now agrees with me. I was following the science that said most people recover. 99.87% of people recover. I was following science that says it takes a long, long time to prove that a medicine is safe. I was following a scientific process that demands rigorous testing. I'm aware that they skipped the testing on pregnant women. I'm aware that Pfizer lied about how many people died during their process of so-called testing. That's why I didn't take these injections. Ask your friends. What science did you follow? And the answer is going to be, they didn't follow science. They followed scientists. And this is a really important moment. Now, again, when we're talking to friends, it's different from talking to political enemies or opponents. When we're talking to our loved ones, we listen to this and say, yeah, you were doing the best you could. All of us were. And you were steering the best that you could. And you meant to do well by yourself and your family. I know that. And we're taking that tone, first of all, because it's true. Most people were doing the best they could. Right? Why were we saved from this? Well, in my opinion, we're saved from this for the same reason that we can see what the party's doing. And this came to me over the weekend. The more people live in lies, the further they are from God. 
the more often they live in constructs of lies, the more often they're engaged in violating the first command, or one of the first, not the first commandment, love God with all their heart, but one of the commandments, which is thou shalt not lie. And if you're constantly living in lies and constantly violating the command God gave us to not lie, you're going to be so steeped in lies that eventually you can't tell the truth. And if you become really good at accepting lies, you're going to become really good at accepting lies about the faith, about Christ, about God, about Jesus Christ. And when you accept those lies, you can no longer hear the shepherd's voice, the good shepherd's voice, or tell the difference because the Lord Jesus had said, hey, my sheep hear my voice. They understand the good shepherd's voice, the sheep hear. And that sheep in a good sense, following the one and true king. When we get to this point of asking our friends, why did I follow? Why did the science that I follow? Why is it now that the CDC is catching up to this? If they're honest, and if we're doing a good job on the conversation, they're going to say that I followed the scientists. Next question for them. Which scientists are the right scientists? This was a favorite of mine during the height of the COVID debate when, particularly if I'd fill in for Rush, God rest him, when we take a bunch of phone calls. We always put a premium of trying to get leftists on or, or on the occasions that I took phone calls on the decade that I did radio in Seattle. Um, I love the calls where people would say something and it would go like this. Uh, yeah, you'll, you'll forgive me if I'm not going to take my uh, medical advice from a disc jockey. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take it from the scientist there, uh, slickster, uh, slickster disc jockey guy. And my response would be, got it. Um, so let me ask you a question. Which scientists? What do you mean? Which scientists? You just said that you're going to outsource your thinking to scientists and outsource your skepticism to scientists. And I'm saying, which scientists? Now, that's a snarky radio guy answer, and it works because it angers people. Oh, I'm, I'm following the right scientists. How do you know they're right? See, we're backing up into this by saying which scientists, you really are saying you're outsourcing your thinking. That's like saying, how are you deciding which car to buy? I'm, I'm trusting the car salesman. Which one? The honest one. Oh, okay. How do you know they're honest? Same thing with scientists. How do you know they're honest? It goes back to how do you define science? Honest scientists use the scientific method. They publish their results. They don't hide their results. They don't lie. They simply show the results. So Steve Kirsch is a guy who's become a dynamo at attacking the injections. And he's got enough money that he's put together teams of analysts to help him go through and better attack what these, uh, what these injections are doing to people. Now, he'd been a big-time donor to the Dems. What do we know about big donors? They get access, right? They put in a phone call. I need to talk to the congresswoman. I'm coming to town. I need a meeting. And they get the meetings. But something weird happened when Steve Kirsch decided to follow scientific rigor. And it started with him forming a thesis. A lot of my friends are getting sick and dying after they get these injections. What is going on? It was a hypothesis. These things are killing my friends. And then he went about to try to disprove his hypothesis. This can't be right. We were told these are safe and effective. And he began to dig into it by observing the data and observing people and trying to disprove his thesis. 
This takes it down to a very interesting level when we talk about soda weight loss at sodaweightloss.com. They observe their results. Their method is this. They're going to get with you on the phone and they're going to talk to you about your situation with food. I had a, a conversation this past week with an absolutely lovely woman, brilliant professional woman who is the glue for the business in which she works. And people talk about her as, man, she keeps this place together. We know that we can count on her and she has a challenge with food. And she and I talked about this. And as a guy who used to secret eat and go to two McDonald's in a row and have, you know, 3,200 calories before bed, I get it. And so we talked as well about the emotional meaning of food to her. And I tried to share that I didn't understand the emotional meaning of food to me. And I wasn't an emotional eater. I was chasing a high, an insulin high. I didn't know that. Now I know that. So, so to weight loss, they're going to spend time with you examining what is food to you. It might be that you are addicted to the feeling of an insulin high, and it's a great feeling. It might be that food is love to you. Might be. It might be that it's a replacement for something else something missing in your life, right? And if food is anything but pleasure, because food should be pleasurable and fuel, well, that can set you up for a problem. And the nutritionist you talk to can help uncover that. And they'll also look at at more simple things like trigger foods. What's that tell them? Well, it tells them as you go through the process of dropping unwanted fat, and I've dropped 150 pounds of unwanted fat, they know which foods to remove for a bit, And then in the maintenance phase, they put those back, right? And they put them back in the right place and time and the right measure. It's not about saying you don't get this stuff forever. It's about saying, well, you drop the unwanted fat, you don't get it. And they provide all the meals. So they measure the results. They turn out and let people review them. It's 7,000 reviews now, average of 4.8 out of five stars. Internally, they track their results, how they predict how much unwanted fat people are going to lose per week. And they track themselves internally. Are we still able to predict an outcome? When you're being scientifically sound, you should be able to use your process to predict an outcome and have it come true. And they do. It's sodaweightloss.com. S-O-T-A weightloss.com. Steve Kirsch had been a Democrat donor, a big time donor, which would mean he should get access when he wants it. He was on Fox News talking about when the Democrat Party lost his trust. Steve, when did the Democratic Party start going south with you? Well, when they violated my 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 trust, Brian, um, you know, they told the, the agencies, the FDA, the CDC, the NIH said that these vaccines were safe and effective. And when I started seeing my friends die and be injured, and I started looking at the data, uh, there was no question that this vaccine is the most dangerous vaccine ever created by man. It is a thousand times more deadly than the smallpox vaccine, and that's too unsafe for people to use. And I could not get even a single minute in front of any Democratic congressman. The best I got was that Ro Khanna uh, gave me a, to a staff member who took two months to get back to me. And when I asked if she had read what I had sent her, she said, no, it disagreed with the CDC. So it's not right. And so I didn't really read it. So, and so that's as far as I ever got. Uh, but you didn't stop there. You did your own research. What did you find? What, what, what did you find was effective? And what was the reaction when you put it out there? 
Well, and what I found was uh, that hundreds of thousands of Americans have been killed by this vaccine, and millions have been injured. And, you know, uh, clearly you are more likely to be injured or dead from the vaccine than if you were unvaccinated. So what they're saying and what the reality is, is completely opposite. There is a conservative radio show commentator. uh, His name is Wayne Root. He had a wedding eight months ago and he had about half conservatives and and well half of his they're all pretty much conservatives okay but half were vaccinated and half were not vaccinated and he found that of the hundred people that were vaccinated he had 26 people who were seriously injured and he had seven people who died and in the unvaccinated group he had zero and zero so, Steve, now, yeah, we don't know. That like, is statistically impossible right. if the vaccines are safe. Right. So we don't we can't verify those numbers. These are the numbers you do have. But in turn, the Democrats who you funded uh, exceedingly can't, won't, won't even return your call. And do you know how rare it is to have a big donor not be able to get a phone call back or to not have at least the legislative aid read what the guy sent in and he couldn't get that done. That's a mind blower for him. And it was a huge wake up call because it goes right back to the question. Now, which scientists And we're talking with our friends and they say, okay, well I'm paying attention to the scientists. We're going to ask them which scientists. And then how do you know they're the right scientists? And we go back to, this is why I talk about the scientific process. This is why I am going to suggest that we ourselves become familiar enough with the scientific process to talk with people about it. Because as I've said countless times, we're all scientists. To some degree, we're all scientists. We observe things and form hypothesis all the time and casually go about testing the hypothesis and casually go about either proving or disproving the hypothesis. And then we make predictions. For instance, the drive to work. The first exit I'm coming up on, man, it looks like there's a lot of people getting off here. I wonder why they're all getting off on this exit. I have a thesis or a hypothesis. It must be that traffic is bad downtown. You test that thesis and you keep going up. I should have gotten off. Dang it. I observed something going on. Now I'm getting to see the proof. Yep. The traffic is bad. I should have gotten off. Now, the next time you see that you can form the same hypothesis. And at this point you're testing your little tiny bit of observational science. You know what? That traffic is bad. I'm going to get off here. And then you tune in or you pick up ways or you look on, you know, Apple maps. Yep. 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 There's an accident. Now you've formed a pretty solid hypothesis. When this exit is backed up early, it means something is going on downtown. It's just a simple way to explain the scientific process. And here's why this is so important, because they're not done scamming. And this is going to be applicable to economics. It's going to be applicable to the FBI. It's going to be applicable to voting, not to the scientific process, but question asking. So we'll begin to expand the conversation beyond just the scientific here in a second. But let's start with this next one. Let me give you an example that where people are getting conned and it, it is happening even in North Idaho. I just read about now schools here that are sneaking in once again, gender confusion statements in the kids schools in, in, in uh, homework in Boise, the liberal Democrat mayor there 
um, who is anything but a Republican, anything but a conservative, has gotten three million bucks by the party in D.C. to sexualize kids and to confuse them about their gender. And that mayor is distributing that money to the city council to be used for to, to work with sexualizing children nonprofits that exist to do just that, to, to confuse kids about their gender. She's already distributing the money. So there's going to be a lot of people who are confused about this. And so we get back to a gentle question. Again, not with the people who are lost, not with the people who've got the so-called trans ally flag hanging from their house. They're lost. No point. But for people who are hanging on to the windowsill, about to drop off and into the ether of the party. Simple question. Hey, can you use the scientific process to prove that a kid is, is what you call transgender? Can you do that? How do you do that? How do you use the scientific process for that? Now, this is going to become more and more prevalent because the people who run Joe Biden are attempting to force Christian nonprofits and other nonprofits into pretending boys or girls. It's with Title IX monies. They're going to attempt to force your church's nonprofit to do this. Not the church itself. But if your church, say, has an adoption agency or your church has a school, they're attempting to say you have to do this if you want Title IX funds. The response to this, by the way, for the church community is we don't want tax money. If you take tax money and you're a church, you're not a church. Okay, you are serving another master. Get out of the tax money thing. So how do you use the scientific process to prove that boys are actually girls? Well, here's how Children's Hospital in Boston proposes to use the scientific process. A child will often know that they are transgender from the moment that they have any ability to express themselves. And parents will often tell us this. We have parents who tell us that their kids, they knew from the minute they were born practically. And actions like refusing to get a haircut or standing to urinate, trying to stand to urinate, refusing to stand to urinate, trying on siblings' clothing, uh, playing with the quote opposite gender toys things like that there is more and more a group of adolescents that we are seeing that really are coming to the realization that they might be trans or gender diverse a little bit later on in their life so what we're seeing from them is that they always sort of knew something was maybe off and didn't have the understanding to know that they might be trans or have a different gender identity than the one they had been assigned so that is a, a growing population that they are that we are seeing and that's being recognized as being trans and able to be treated I see. So the scientific process with, with little kids is things they don't want to do. Um, do kids reach an oppositional stage? Does that happen? Do kids often not want to do things like not clean their hands and not take baths and not clean their rooms? And have you ever known a youngster who says, no, I'm a dog? Or a youngster who says, when I grow up, I'm going to be Superman. The kids have a developmental brain stage where they can make a decision like that. Incidentally, why are you talking about a medical treatment for a belief or for behaviors? Can you point me in the direction of other behaviors that are treated with surgery and hormones? Can you point me in the direction, say, of oppositional 
problems for kids just to pose authority. I mean, that could be dealt with with a lobotomy. We used to do that. We used to use lobotomies to deal with oppositional issues and kids who were defiant. How is this different? Why is it different? And your friends will say, well, because they're not going to remove body parts until they go through a great big screening process. This never happens with children to which you can reply and say, is that right? Well, this is the Boston Children's Hospital talking about hysterectomies for children. And by the way, as I play this, there's very few things at which I, uh, God has granted me expertise. God has granted me expertise in how people speak. This woman, in my judgment, absolutely knows this is hogwash. How do I know? Because she says the phrase gender affirming so quickly because she's trying to hide it from you and from herself. Gender affirming hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophorectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. Do not have to. Oh, so... At what point in this conversation with people where you're in this topic of how do you use the scientific process to prove boys or girls? Hey, let me ask you a question. If some boys have penises and some girls have ovaries or in some boys have ovaries, why are we removing anything? Because I've heard the phrase that some, some, some boys have ovaries. Why are we removing a boy's ovaries? Why are we removing a boy's cervix? Why would you remove something if, if, if it's just part of being a boy? How is that gender affirming? See, asking questions to which you know the answer puts you in a position of advantage with the person you're talking with. It also allows you to steer them towards evidence like this and questions like this. Wait a minute, I thought some boys have ovaries. That's right, some boys can get pregnant. Why then would you take their body parts out? We need to be very crisp and very good on this. Some of this is fun because it's so nonsensical, particularly when you're going to talk about people like Pramila PayPal, who for some reason gets to call herself the United States Congresswoman. Well, she won an election because it was her turn. That really is why she won the election is it's her turn, by the way. That really is. I had a question for you that I'd like to get your feedback on email. What do you subscribe to? Are there publications for which you pay money? And if so, what are the publications that you consider paying money for and getting a great value? I know what the Daily Wire does. I know what they charge. And I think I know what they deliver on that. I know there's some podcasts that people pay for. If there is information for which you pay and you consider it to be a great value, would you tell me I am studying now subscription programs to figure out how we make this thing worthwhile and what sort of extras we need to deliver? We know video is a plus. We know that images, I think that infographics are going to be a plus. I refuse to release anything until I think it's something I could actually ask you guys to pay money for. So what do you subscribe to now? Could you just pop me a note at the ToddHermanShow.com? Just use the phrase subscription 
And that way I'll be able to go through and scan that real quick. I'm asking you guys to help me study the world of subscription digital media. Do you pay for Netflix? Do you consider that to be a great value? Um, I know some people do Hulu and do you consider that to be a great value? But we don't do you know uh, entertainment here much but it's information, but it'll help me figure out where you guys are at on this or Substacks, right? Do you give, like, for instance, do you, um, do you pay for a subscription to the unlocked Alex Berenson or, or Peter McCullough, some of those things? Really would be grateful if you just deliver that help. Just go to the ToddHermanShow.com. It's sort of you being part of the research team here as we start to build this out, finally, finally starting to build this out. What happened was we actually found the piece of hardware we need to do this the way I want. After about a year of searching, there's actually a piece of hardware that will let me do video the way I want to do video. It's ToddHermanShow.com. I'd appreciate that. So another question, what is math? Now, I know that sounds really, really smart, snarky, but as we're talking with people about the economy, one of the things I think we can do as we're talking about these questions to help derail the party's propaganda or their spokesmouths, one of the things we need to do is stop accepting the framing of the party. So if we're going to talk about taxation and we're going to talk about inflation, et cetera, we need to get precision with terms, we need to get precise with terms, such as asking questions of people like this. How do you view inflation? Like, how do you define inflation? We're talking with people, people who've not yet given up to the party. Most people don't know what inflation is. They know that it's bad or they've been told that it's bad, but most people don't understand what it is. What is it? It's an increase in the cost of things being driven by economic policy and scarcity. Inflation. It can be changed, it can be monkeyed with, and it can be caused. But there are some people, and this woman is a United States Congresswoman, and the way she got to run is the most offensive thing I witnessed at the time. She got to run as the Democrat nominee because she was a woman with dark skin, full stop. True story. She's from the Seattle area. There was a guy who had served the Democrats for, for 30 years. It was supposedly his turn to run, and they had a meeting and said, no more white men. We're going to have a woman of color run. Pramila PayPal was born. This is her talking about inflation. And it is ultimately going to lead to a reduction in overall inflation, but most importantly, to the budget that people have every single day. Inflation is like a theoretical word that economists use, but what families feel every day is the up or down of costs. Oh, that's not probably going to help make anybody feel better. Inflation, she says, is a theoretical word that economists use. A theoretical word. Well, there's a lot of theoretical words, except inflation is not theoretical. It's addition and multiplication. It is adding to the price of things. So one of the things we can do with our friends and one of the questions that we can ask is, why is it that certain products have gotten so much more expensive and certain products have actually gone down in cost? Why is that? For instance, if you wanted to have um, 30 years ago, a computer that does what your iPhone does now, you'd have had to spend millions of dollars. 
Now, phones can be expensive, 700 bucks, 600 bucks for a phone, 1,000 bucks, it's expensive, but it's not $7 million. How has it gone down in terms of the features that it has and the power and the storage and all the different uses for that phone? How is it that if you take it from a perspective of what it can do for you, it has gotten so more affordable and yet a college education, why is it that a college education has gotten so expensive? Why is it that plastic surgery has become so much more affordable? You can go get simple plastic surgery for a couple hundred bucks. You can go get Botox for, I don't know, 99, 200 bucks. How is it that things like that have gotten cheaper, but medical care to save your life has gotten more expensive? Why is it that nutritional supplements continue to decrease in cost and then pharmaceuticals continue to increase? Why is that? Because of inflation. What's the inflation? What's causing the inflation? Well, the inflated prices are caused by the insertion of more people in the supply chain. In the case of, of, of delivering the product of, of, of computers, and software, time over time, cycle over cycle, it becomes more efficient. Tools like Botox, is, as and some people do use that. It's not something I ever want to stick in my face. I have friends who use it. But that becomes cheaper and cheaper and cheaper because there's fewer and fewer people involved. But in the case of life-saving medicine, there's more people involved. Who? Government. That's an inflationary, an inflationary dynamic. For every single doctor, there are 17 paper pushers. There's your inflation. When we know these answers and we have this data and we can help explain the world around people, we can help them not fall into the full trap of the party, which is like them to avoid because falling into the full trap of the party is going to suck their souls out of their heads. Because once they fall for the party, they're falling for lies. And once they fall for lies, well, they'll fall for the father of lies. Another question to our friends. Can elections be stolen? Now, in this case, you're talking to people who are saying, well, my concern about President Trump is, I, you know, I think the FBI is overreaching. I get that. But I'm concerned that he talked about this big lie. I mean, he, he went out and said the election was stolen. That's never been done. That's the big lie. I'm concerned about the big lie. Us responding. You know what? I also get concerned about lies, right? I, I do because look, not to bring Hitler into this, but he, you know, Joseph Goebbels talked about, if you're going to lie, make it a big lie, say it over and over again. And eventually the people believe it, right? So I get you. I feel you. I'm with you. I'm with it on that. I'm with it. I got it. But my question to you is, can elections be stolen in America? Can that happen? And the likely response is going to be, oh, well, there was no sign of fraud, et cetera. Okay. All right. Can it happen? You know, I don't think so. Which gives you an opportunity to use tools like this with your friends. And incidentally, all this stuff is on our Substack, the Todd Herman Show.substack.com, or just go to the Todd Herman Show.com and subscribe because you can put this thing I'm about to play, you can put this on your phone. We're just talking about phones. You can have this on your phone. So as you're talking with people in a friendly way, you can say to them, what if I could play for you 10 minutes of audio of Democrats saying the election was stolen before Donald Trump ever said that? You can run the best campaign 
You can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you. How can you win with Russian interference, though? That's, That's what I'm thing. scared about no, in 2020. But, but rightly. Because right. I think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. So how do you, you know, fight against that in 2020? You are absolutely right. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, I absolutely agree. Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election and he was put in office because the Russians interfered. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is illegitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. But there absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. So that legitimacy is in question, yes. So that was a very tainted election. And and in that sense, it's illegitimate. Why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you? Because he knows he didn't. And by the way, Clay Travis put that together. Thank you, Clay. It goes on for another eight minutes. So again, the question to our friends, can elections be stolen? And when we're talking with people and they're hearing that, oh, I've never heard that. Question, why? Why do you think you'd never heard that? It goes back to what is science. One of our questions is, what is source material? How often do you consult source material? What does that mean? It means the principal actually saying it. Source material, a CDC study. Have you read them? And look, people are busy. People don't have time. Source material. Did you read the Pfizer Securities and Exchange Commission filings? Why would I want to read that? Because it admits that the injections were never going to stop transmission or infection. That's how I knew that three years ago, because they admitted it. Source material. What is the scientific process? If you're following the scientists and outsourcing your thinking, which scientists? By the way, can the scientific method be used to prove that a boy is a girl? No, it can't. Incidentally, what is inflation? Isn't it just addition of cost? How does that happen? What adds the cost? What are the dynamics at play? Oh, and then the elections. Can they be stolen? Because Democrats said so. They said so a lot. There's 10 minutes of audio of them saying that elections were stolen. In fact, that Donald Trump stole an election. So wait a minute. Weren't they the first to tell the big lie? Why was that not called out? Why was it that the media found it so disconcerting that President Trump said the election was stolen, but not them? These series of questions that we ask, we already know the answer to. Now, this one is a little bit of a trick question. Do cops have too much power? But this is the way the party asks questions. They put everybody in the same box. White people all have white privilege. All of us are racist. All of us hate black people. Just even if we don't, we hate them. It's in our DNA. Of course, the answer is some cops do abuse their power and some police forces do have too much power, but that's not the way the party asks questions. So we ask our friends, the cops have too much power. Well, I think they do. Okay. 
So you agree that Merrick Garland has too much power. Let me address recent unfounded attacks on the professionalism of the FBI and Justice Department agents and prosecutors. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. The men and women of the FBI and the Justice Department are dedicated, patriotic public servants. Every day, they protect the American people from violent crime, terrorism, and other threats to their safety while safeguarding our civil rights. They do so at great personal sacrifice and risk to themselves. I am honored to work alongside them. Now, of course, he could have said that at any time, any time. He was still Merrick Garland. He could still go jump in front of a TV before he became attorney general. He could have gone online and gone on, uh, on TV and said, hey, stop calling cops murderers. He could have gone on TV and said, I say to the people of Black Lives Matter Incorporated, stop calling for cops to be killed. He could have gone on and said, hey, I've been a Democrat my whole life. I am telling them to stop this defund the police rhetoric. It's dangerous. I will not stand by. He could have done that. He could have said, I will not remain silent and stand by as people break federal law to stand outside the homes of Supreme Court justices and threaten them. He didn't. Why? Don't cops have too much power? Or does Merrick Garland need more power? The national security laws apply to everyone or only some people in government? It's just a good question. Do they, I'm asking, like, do they apply to everyone? Because I am in possession of something that can prove they don't belong to everyone. And it's, it has the, the, great, the, the great addition of being fun. I wish I knew who performed this or created this. This is when technology can be used at its best. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you a song that proves everything we've just talked about today. Ask questions to which you know the answer. Steer your friends through Socratic inquiry to what they already sense, but can come to through Socratic questioning. You're asking questions to which you know the answer. They probably internally know the answer, such as, do you outsource your thinking in other areas or only when it comes to science or elections? When you can explain a circumstance like this in a song that does nothing more than take people's words and put them to beats and compare statement to statement, then really what they are doing is lying and lying viciously. And it shouldn't be this easy to show. I call this song, What Difference at This Point Does It Make? Good morning. I'm here to give you an update on the FBI's investigation of Secretary Clinton. What I want to do is tell you what we're recommending. But first, let me tell you what we found. 110 emails, 52 email chains have been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains are top secret. 36 of those chains are secret. And eight contain confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? Everything I did was admitted. There was no law. Secretary Clinton should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. I did not email any classified material to anyone on my email. None of these emails should have been on any kind of unclassified system, not even Gmail. But first of all, nothing was marked classified. To the contrary, nothing was marked classified. There is evidence that there was a tremendous amount of classified. 
tell you what we found. Oh 110 emails. It was not the best choice. 52 email chains. It was the mistake. have been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains were top secret. Was it the best choice? Six of those chains. Seven was the mistake. Eight contained confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? With respect to our recommendation, this is going to be an unusual statement in at least a couple of ways. Although there is evidence, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. <laughs> I know there will be intense public debate. I know there will be intense public debate. I know there will be intense public debate. Public debate. What difference at this point does it make? 110 emails. It wasn't the best choice. 52 email chains. I made a mistake. I've been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains were top secret. Six of those chains. I said it was a mistake. And eight contained confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? Make, make. It makes this difference. If we will use the tools of asking questions to which we know the answer with our friends and people who are hanging by their fingernails outside the window, ready to drop into the abyss of the party. If we'll ask questions to which we know the answer and use humor like that, we might well save them. You probably noticed a pattern I have that when people fall for the party, they fall for everything. Well, Bob Dylan was right. You got to stand for something or you're going to fall for everything or anything. And what do we stand on? You know what we stand on. We stand on the firmest foundation of truth. It never changes. Only people try to change it. But the word of God never changes. The creation has never changed. The reason for the creation has never changed. And his admonition that we never, ever give up the ability to hear his voice the voice that never lies, to test everything against his word, I think that's one of the reasons that we've been spared. And to whom much is given and being spared is much. Much is expected. So are you ready to engage in this great experiment of asking our friends and acquaintances questions to which we already know the answer? Next hour on the Todd Herman Show, it's no longer just hiding evidence. Uh, Twitter has announced that they are bringing back a function they call pre-bunks. This is quite literally Twitter predicting outcomes and telling you, oh, that can't happen because it's a pre-bunk. It's a thought crime. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and be thankful that God has revealed so very much for us.